listening to The Venue Podcast. The Venue is a worship gathering of Southcrest Baptist Church. To learn more about The Venue at Southcrest, visit us online at southcrest.org or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Amen. It's so good to have this opportunity. Um, Man. I can't tell you how special this is for uh, my wife and my three girls for, and, and for me to be here this morning. Um, South Crest has been a, a, uh, an anchor for us for many years. Um, I, I was the college pastor at Indiana Avenue for many years uh, before we planted this church, and I'll tell you more about that later, but uh, there was a season where uh, my wife and I were looking for a place to connect where we could just kind of you know, rest before we went out and planted our church. And so Southcrest was that for us. In fact, the venue was that for us. We, uh, we came for about maybe three or four months, and uh, this became a, a, a makeshift home for us. And so that was back in the days when we met in the gym, if you remember those days, the dark days of the gym. And now you upgrade it to the, uh, the original sanctuary. It feels much holier in here, doesn't it? <laughs> Just a little bit. Uh, so glad to be here this morning, though. Uh, Southcrest, you have been an anchor for us uh, for many years. For the past three years since we launched, you have been an anchor of support for us. You've sent us mission teams. You've been praying for us. Uh, when you give to Southcrest, you may not realize this, but you're helping impact, like, like Pastor Brandon said, you're, you're helping impact churches and people and lives all across our nation, all across our world. And so I would encourage you to go through the hallways in just a moment and just take it all in and, and realize that you have a hand in ministries like ours. And so, uh, but I just can't thank you enough for all that you do for us and standing in the gap. Um, many people don't realize this, but church planting is difficult. It's hard. Uh, church planting, especially outside of the Bible Belt, is extremely hard. Uh, my friend Zach is preaching in the other service um, and uh, he, he and I are very close. We went to Oklahoma State together. Don't hold that against me. I was born in Lubbock, okay? I'm from here. You're my people. Um, but, uh, but, but I went to Oklahoma State. We, that's where we met, and Zach has been a dear friend ever since. But outside of the Bible Belt, that's where ministry is hard. And may, many people may not realize this, but Denver is very dark. It's a very dark place in our country, um, just, just wanted to throw some statistics out there for you this morning. Um, <clears throat> just listen to this. Denver is the fourth largest city of people who have no religion. Two-thirds of Denver have no religion whatsoever. There's about four and a half million people that live in and, de- in and around Denver, and two-thirds of them claim zero religion. That means they're not atheists. They're not uh, they're not agnostic. They're nothing. They're, they don't believe in anything. That's Denver. That's not that far away. That's about an eight-hour drive from where we are right now. On top of that, there are more marijuana dispensaries in Denver than there are Starbucks, 7-Elevens, McDonald's, Burger Kings, and Wendy's combined. Potluck lunches are something totally different at our church. <laughs> you should see our green room. <laughs> On top of that, Colorado ranks sixth in the nation for the number of suicides. We believe a lot of that's in part due to the fact that legalization of marijuana has led to that. Um, 
Marijuana is rampant in our schools. We see, uh, we see high school kids, high almost every, uh, literally, there are many high school students that are high every day in school. And I don't care what the media says, uh, it is a gateway drug. We have seen harder drugs enter our high schools. Along with that comes suicide and other issues. Last year, we were ranked seventh in the nation for suicides. This year, we're ranked number six. 93% of the people in and around our community in Broomfield, Northwest Denver, uh, claims no religion. or they, they have no religion, but more importantly, they, uh, they are unchurched. They are lost. They don't have God on their radar. And that's really what we see across the Western U.S. In any major city in the Western U.S., 90 to 95% of the population is unchurched, meaning they don't have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, which makes what uh, Brian is doing in San Diego so important. It makes what Zach Randall's is doing in DC so important. But we believe Denver is the gateway to the West. If you take the mountain and Pacific time zones and make it its own country, it's numerically speaking, it's the fourth largest lost country in the entire world. Let me say that again. If you take the mountain and Pacific time zones and make it its own country, it is the fourth largest lost country in the world, numerically speaking. It's a very lost and dark place. We've seen trends that start in Denver spread westward. And we wanna see the spark of the gospel start in Denver and spread westward. That's why we planted our lives there. We're the only SBC church in Broomfield. Broomfield is expected to double in the next five to 10 years, but already within three miles of our house, there are 100,000 people that live, play, and work right there. And we're the only Southern Baptist church in our city. In fact, First Baptist Broomfield closed their doors almost a decade ago. It's incredibly dark. In fact, we are the first church plant to plant in the past 10 years in that area. As I mentioned, there's 100,000 people that live within three miles of our church, and the population is expected to double. But since our launch, since our launch three, almost three and a half years ago, we've seen 179 people pray to receive Christ. That's the wrong slide. I apologize about that. I must have missed one. All right. There it is. Since our launch, we've seen 179 people pray to receive Christ as their Lord and Savior. Many of those families have never experienced church. They've never experienced the gospel. They've never experienced the, uh, the family that we have in this church here. Um, and so we've seen whole families come to know Jesus. In fact, in this picture, this is one of the many families that we've led whole families to Jesus. It's incredible to see when we step out in faith, when we decide to follow Jesus, when we put our yes on the table and nothing else matters, this is what God can do. We had 350 people at our Easter service last year. It's an incredible thing. We had 19 salvations, or 20. I think we had 20 salvations and five baptisms on the spot. More importantly, we want to plant 10 churches in 10 years. We want to see the spark of the gospel spread from our church plant, our tiny little church plant in northwest Denver, outward and westward. We want to see a movement spread westward through our city and through our country. The Western U.S. has never experienced 
a revival. It has never experienced a movement of church planting. And we want to plant 10 churches in the next 10 years. We've already planted our first church in Boulder. Boulder is like San Francisco. If San Francisco and Austin had a baby, it would be Boulder. And so, as you can imagine, without the Longhorns, thank God. But, but uh, you know, sorry, I just had to say that. But Boulder is extremely lost. Extremely lost. We've helped plant a church there. They're running about 200 people right now. It's incredible. It's incredible. Many people today in our American church call themselves Christians because they believe the Christian life is about admiring Jesus' example, not realizing it's actually a call to follow it. Many of us believe that what Jesus did on the cross is something for us to be reverent about or to to, to, to appreciate, but, 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 but Jesus dying on the cross was actually a call to follow him to that cross, to die. In fact, Galatians 2, verse 20 says this. Many of you know it. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. This is Paul. Paul writes this to a church, a church smaller than, than maybe this section of people right here. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. Now, we read this, and we've, I've heard this since I was a kid, but it never really resonated with me until, until I was in my late 30s. You see, Jesus is calling me, he's calling you to lay down our lives to die for him. And maybe that means physical death, but for sure it means to die to self, to die to selfish ambitions, to die to whatever our plans may be, because Jesus paid the price for you and for me, and he purchased me with his blood. He purchased you with his blood, and now we belong to him. And now he wants to use you and me as his presence. I mean, it's an incredible thing if you think about it. When Jesus left his disciples, he says, it's now up to you. I'm going to send you the comforter, but it's actually better that I leave you. I'm going to send you the, hel the Holy Spirit, the helper, to help you in your time of need. I will be with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you, but I must go. But I'm sending the Holy Spirit to be with you, to be in you. And for the first time in human history, God's presence was poured out on man, and God's presence lives in man. And so many of us are walking around with the Holy Spirit in us, but we don't truly take that to heart. We don't truly realize that the power of the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in you and me. Think about that. When he asks us to step out in faith and to follow him, when he asks us to give everything for him, so many times we say, well, I'll just give you Sunday mornings or I'll give you a portion of my week. I may read the Bible if you're lucky, God, but no, this is not what God wants. He wants all of you. He wants every single part of you because he died for you, because he bought you with his blood. That means you don't belong to yourself anymore. You belong to him. If he asks you to do something, maybe it's stepping out in faith, maybe it's sharing your faith, maybe it's sharing the love of God in a situation, maybe it's redeeming a relationship, maybe he's asking you to step out in faith like so many are doing, going to New York, sharing their faith, sharing the love of God, they're, they're traveling to a distant, a distant land that needs Jesus, that needs the hope of Christ. Maybe some of you need to 
Start praying and saying, God, what do you need from me? What do you want me to do with my life? When he says, I've been crucified with Christ, Paul wasn't just using, he wasn't just using words. He wasn't just trying to use poetic words to to spark a, a, a revival in people's hearts. No, he was saying, I, myself, have been crucified with Jesus. And it was not a sterile crucifixion. Right? I mean, it was not. If, if you look at the, if, if, if you have ever seen the movie, The Passion of the Christ, you'll see that it was not sterile at all. It was brutal. In fact, when they filmed that movie, when they filmed that, uh, the director said that he could not even go there at points because it was so harsh. They didn't show them ripping out the, the chunks of beard from, from, from Jesus' face. They didn't show them beating Jesus beyond recognition. They didn't show Jesus hanging naked on the cross for you and for me. So to be crucified with Christ means that I lay down my plans, my life, and I count the cost. Is this what it means to follow Jesus? Following Jesus in our country, following Jesus here in this life, often we just feel like that means, well, I go to church I'll be involved on a regular basis at church. I'll give when they pass the bucket. I'll, I may go on a mission trip every once in a while. But, but no, when we say we've been crucified with Jesus, that means I've surrendered all control to him. You think about that for a moment. Jesus surrendered all control when he, when he went forward with the cross. Counting the cost of following Jesus is incredibly powerful. Major Ian Thomas said this. I love this quote. Major Ian Thomas said, the Christian life is nothing less than the life Jesus lived in, lived now by him in you. Let me read that again. The Christian life is nothing less than the life Jesus lived in, lived now by him in you. In other words, what Jesus lived back then, what he fought for, what he lived for, what he did in serving, not to be served, right? He came to serve, not to be served. He gave his life as ransom for many. He did this for you and me. And I can best glorify him by living as him, living more like Jesus, letting him take control of my life, surrendering to him and being crucified with him. Following Jesus is going to cost you something. And it should cost you everything. I love what Jesus says. We're going to get into that in just a moment. But I love this passage in particular. You see, there are millions of men and women around our country who've been taught that they can become Christians and it will cost them absolutely nothing. And they believe it. And they actually believe it. That coming to Jesus will cost you absolutely nothing. And Jesus, if you read just his words in the scriptures, if you read just the gospels, if you just read the red letters in your Bible, you will see that Jesus says the exact opposite. And there are some people that actually teach that life will get better for you when you come to know Jesus. That's not what Jesus said. He says, if you come to me, you got to hate your mother, your father, your brother, your sister. You got to be crucified with me. You got to take up your cross. You got to follow me. And if you're not willing to lay down your life for me, then I don't know what to do with you, he says. 
because I didn't come to just make people's lives so much softer and, and more flowery. He didn't, he didn't die on the cross so that we could just be passive and just, just be railroaded. No, he came and he died on the cross so that we could share the love of God with people, so that we could be like Jesus, so that we could come to serve, not to be served. Becoming a Christian is a complete and total surrender of your desires and flesh to the higher purpose of serving God's glory. It means you die to yourself and you put on Christ. That's what you're signing up for. That's exactly what you're signing up for. When you pray to receive Christ, I prayed to receive Christ when I was nine years old. I didn't fully understand what it meant to follow him. But it's a call to die. 100%. It's a call to surrender. And the reason I bring this up is because when we truly surrender, when we give our lives to him, this is where God works the strongest. We had a great college ministry at Indiana Avenue. We were there for about five and a half years. When I got there our first Sunday, we had 40 students. It was incredible. We had moved from First Baptist Canyon, Texas. We moved down here and started this ministry over the next few years, we experienced, experienced tremendous growth. We had our own Sunday morning service, much like this, in our own building, at our own campus, and it was great. Uh, we also had a shuttle that picked students up at Texas Tech and brought them to our church, and uh, I always get calls from parents. Brandon, I'm sure you do the same. You, get, you may get calls from moms and dads that call me, and they would ask me to call their kids and invite them to church, and millennials... That's just so awkward. You know, it's just super awkward when mom or dad calls the pastor and then the pastor has to call the son or daughter. But I would always do it. This one mother called me from Phoenix. Her name was Carrie. Carrie called me one day. She said, hey, I see that you have, uh, I see that you have a, a shuttle that picks students up from the student union building and brings them to your church. Would you call my two boys? They don't have a car. They moved into the dorm and they have not been to church since we dropped them off last year. And I said, I said, yes, I will. I didn't have the heart to tell her it never works when she calls me, but I called the boys and they were like, thanks, but no thanks. And that was about as far as I got with them. In August, 2014, the dad loaded them up in Phoenix in the back of his truck and drove down I-10 with them. And he was gonna drop them off here in Lubbock and drive back. Well, as they're driving down I-10, somewhere outside of Wilcox, Arizona, they, blow, they have a blowout and they roll the vehicle and all three men are ejected and die, die at the scene. All three men. In one moment, Carrie lost her entire family. In one moment, she had lost everything. When we found out about it, of course, our heart went out to her. We called her and we said, Carrie, if there's anything you need, you call us. We'll find someone there in Phoenix to, to take care of whatever you need, but you just call us. If you need anything, you call us. We were on the phone with her about every week, just praying with her and encouraging her. And uh, it was around that same season that my wife and I were feeling stirred to plant a church. Now listen, we loved college ministry. It was gonna take a movement of God to move us on from what we were doing. We loved our college ministry. We love Texas Tech, and we love Lubbock. But we began having this stirring deep in our hearts, and we said, God, if you're in this, we'll follow you anywhere. We'll follow you anywhere. 
If you're calling us to uproot our lives and move far away from family, we'll follow you anyway. It doesn't matter where you lead, we will go. But God, I gotta know, you just gotta show us how. How does this work? When I, when I quit my job at Indiana Avenue, how does it work financially? Like, God, this is scary. I've got, I've got a wife and three kids to raise. And, and more importantly, God, I, and I had all these things that I was sharing with God, that I was telling God, but God, I need this, 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 and this to prove to me that, that you're gonna take care of us. And God was working on my faithfulness while I was coming to him saying, God, are you going to be faithful? He said, no, I am always faithful. You just trust me. And I love this. We prayed that prayer for two months, morning and night. God, if you're calling us, then show us how this works. Two months later, Carrie calls me out of the blue one morning and she goes, Keith, I couldn't sleep last night. She said, for some reason, God wants me to give you some money for your ministry. Well, I thought it was a couple hundred bucks, so I told her she could put it in our mission budget. That's, we send students all over the city, all over, all over town. We serve, uh, at that time, we had about 700 students serving in and around Lubbock at different uh, mission organizations around town and different nonprofits. So we're always looking for money for that, so you can put it there. We'd love to have your money. And she said, we'll pray about it, because it's $25,000. It may not mean a lot to you, that was a tenth of what we thought we would need to start this church. That was about a tenth of what we had anticipated that first year was gonna look like. It was almost like God said, I've got the 10% and the 90%. You just trust me for now. And so I prayed over for two days. I called Carrie back and I said, Carrie, we've been praying about planning a church. You're the first person we're telling. We've been asking God to show us how financially this is even possible and we feel like this is how. She said, absolutely. I want that money to go towards your church plant. I said, Carrie, we don't even know where we're going to plant this thing. She said, it doesn't matter. I want to give you the money. And so she gave us the money and that began a new season of prayer for my wife and I. We began praying over Lubbock. We thought, God, you brought us to Lubbock. I was born here. This is, these are my people. <laughs> Maybe you called us to plant a church here. God quickly said, no, there's a lot of strong churches here. I want to take you to a darker place. I want to take you to a place where there's few churches. So we, naturally, we went to Austin, all those longhorns. And uh, hey, they need Jesus too. Um, but uh, we went there. God closed the door there. We went to Seattle. God closed the door there. We went to Denver. Had no peace in our heart until we came to Broomfield, of all places. It's northwest Denver, just outside of Boulder. We had this peace that transcends all understanding wash over us. I can't even explain it. It's almost like the ground shook for us. That's, that's, all, that's the only way I can describe it to you. It was like God said, this is the city. These are the people that I'm bringing you to. This is where I want you to plant your life. This is where I want you to plant a church that, that shares the gospel and multiplies and plants more churches. And so we put our yes on the table. We said, yes, God, we will follow you to Broomfield. We should have had a cooler name like Lubbock, let's be honest, but no, it's Broomfield. Broomfield was it. So I called Carrie in Phoenix and I said, Carrie, you'll never believe it. We're moving to Northwest Denver. It's a place called Broomfield. She said, you gotta be kidding me. She said, Broomfield? That's where I was born and raised. I was like, okay, God, mic drop. I get it. You're in control. You're blowing my mind right now. We launched the church on the second anniversary of her family's death. We flew her in. She was there. It was a special day. We launched the church two miles east of her childhood home. 
It's a beautiful, beautiful picture how God made that full circle. I've got dozens of stories like this. I'm telling you, it wasn't until a few years ago that I, I was just tired of going through the same process, punching the clock, going to meetings, doing the same thing day in and day out, and not really being asked to live in faith. And that's when we put our yes on the table. Following Jesus will cost you something. Following Jesus will cost you, and it should cost you everything. To be crucified with Christ is no small matter. It's no small thing. It is no longer I who live, Paul says, but Christ who lives in me. And the life, listen to this, in the life I now live, I live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. In other words, he's saying exactly what Major Ian Thomas said. The life that he lived out, then lived now by him in me. This is why you were saved. Did you realize if you've given your life to Jesus, you have a purpose? You have a purpose to follow him. And I'm not just saying come to church. That's part of it. That's a great first step. Go to small group. That's a great first step. Go to Sunday school. That's a great second step. Yes, get baptized. All those things are great. But to truly surrender your life to him and follow him no matter what it looks like, this is what he's called us to. A good friend of mine, a confidant for mine in, in, of mine in ministry, John Randalls used to say, that's what a dangerous disciple looks like. To be crucified with Jesus. To have an outward perspective, not an inward one. I'm telling you, if you're struggling with anxiety or depression, there's nothing more, uh, more, more curing than having an outward perspective. Realizing that God has redeemed you for a purpose. It's to serve others. It's to share the gospel. It's to be the light of Jesus, the hands and the feet of Jesus. This passage in Luke is where we're going to be this morning. Luke 14. We'll be in Luke chapter 14, verse 25. I love this passage. This is a passage that God used in, in the early days of, of us surrendering to church planting and uprooting our lives, uprooting our family and moving far away from family and home. When we parachuted into Denver, we didn't know a soul in our city. It was terrifying. God used this passage to really refine me and our calling. Listen to this. It says, now great crowds accompanied Jesus. And Jesus turned and said to them, if anyone comes after me but does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, Jesus isn't asking you to hate anybody. I know that's what it says here, but he's not asking you to hate anybody because hate is a sin. Let's face it. He's not asking you to go hate on anybody. He's asking you the love that you have for, for God ought to be priority over everything else. And I know that because in Matthew chapter 10, he says, anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. You see, Jesus sets the bar high. He says, anybody who comes and wants to follow me 
If you truly want to give your life to follow me, I'm not just, I'm not asking you to just come to church. I'm not asking you to just be a good person. I'm asking you to die. I'm asking you to put me as a priority, not your life, not your priorities, not your plans. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, Jesus says. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. This is what he's asking of you, to put him priority, priority number one. For many years, I grew up in the Bible Belt. I grew up going to church my entire life. I grew up understanding that godly people do godly things. And so I had this misunderstanding that doing things for God meant that I was more holy, more righteous. Being with him is important, but it wasn't like the intimacy that I had with Jesus was not, you know, daily. It was not in the word. I knew I should be reading the Bible. I knew I should be spending that intimate time with the father, but I was not spending that time with him. It wasn't until recently that I began understanding that my primary calling is not a pastor. My primary calling is not to be a minister or to be a good Christian or to do things for him. My primary calling is to be intimate with the father. We see this in Jesus, that Jesus walks away from ministry at times. He walks away from people sometimes to spend time with the father. That was priority number one for him. In my own life, I've walked through seasons of darkness. I've walked through seasons of anxiety, depression. And it was because I was not pursuing Jesus intimately every day in his word. You see, the overflow of spending time, intimate time with the Father is ministry. Trust me in that. Test me in that, God says. You spend time with me. You spend time with me. In my word, you spend time praying with me. You spend time meditating on what I'm saying and what I'm asking you to do. You crucify yourself and die to your own desires. Trust me in this. You just watch. Ministry will just naturally flow from your life. Your primary calling, and mine too, is intimacy with the Father. This is why Jesus says, hey, if you're going to put anything else above me, you're not worthy of me. How's that hit you this morning? If you're going to put anything above me, you're not worthy of me. Many times Jesus turns to the masses, the crowds, the thousands of people, and he says, some of you are following me for the wrong reasons. To some, he says, you're following me for the wrong reasons. You just want to be fed or you want to just see these miraculous signs that I'm doing or, or whatever. But, but Jesus says, if you come to me, if you follow me, it may cost you everything. It may cost you your life. Jesus says in verse 27, he says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. You see, what Jesus is asking us to do is to do the work. He's asking us to do the hard work, the labor, the difficult work of loving people, the difficult work of putting our desires aside, the difficult work of putting our plans on hold so that we can follow Jesus wholeheartedly, no matter what the cost is. You see, when you signed up for Jesus, you may have not realized it, but you are signing up to die, to take up your cross, to follow him. Because Jesus may say, there's gonna be some crosses right outside this door. I need you to take it and bear it for me this week in your workplace. 
I'm gonna need you to take that cross home to your neighborhood and be Jesus to the neighbors that are so hard to love because they got their car up in their driveway without any wheels on it. They're so hard to love. They play their music really loud. What would Jesus do in that situation? Maybe he's calling you to be Jesus in your, in your marriage, in your own family. To take up your cross means suffering. It means Sometimes it means embarrassment. Sometimes it means you're, you're there all alone. Sometimes it means that you will have to die to yourself. But it's worth it. There's no, there's no mincing words here. There was no misinterpreting what Jesus was calling for, which is why he had so few disciples. The call to follow Jesus was a call to die. Die to self, die to selfish ambitions, die to the old you, die to your sins. So when we consider what it looks like to follow him, that doesn't necessarily mean that God's calling you to plant a church, but maybe it does. It doesn't necessarily mean that God's calling you to ministry, but maybe it does. I would love for you to reflect on these things this morning. But Jesus says, don't just start this journey with me and leave me halfway. In fact, he says this in the next few verses. In verse 28, he says, for which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he's laid a foundation, is not able to finish it, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. In other words, what Jesus is saying, don't start building this with me. Don't start following me and then half-heartedly leave me later. Don't start building this, this kingdom with me. He says, I'm looking for people to build this kingdom with, not to build an empire, not to do your own thing, but to build the kingdom of God, to spark a movement across our city, across our nation. That's what Jesus is looking for. That's what he's interested in. He says, don't just start building this with me and leave me halfway, halfway completed, in other words, don't just give your life to me. Don't just get baptized and go to church occasionally. No, I want all of you. And he deserves all of you. He does. Verse 31, he says, Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first to deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? If not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. I love the, the, the thought that Jesus has here correlating this to a war because I gotta tell you, when you start following Jesus, you're gonna start seeing the target on your back is so clear. Satan is not okay with us following Jesus. Now, here's the deal. When I became a believer at the age of nine, when I gave my life to Jesus, I can never lose that. Once I've come into the family of God, I can never leave the family of God. Even if I walk away from him, he never breaks his promises. One of our guys recently asked me, he said, how can, how can I walk away from God and God still keep his end of the bargain? I said, well, Adam, his name's Adam. I said, you love your son, Marcus. He's seven years old. What if Marcus someday grows up and, and moves away from you and wants to start his own life, changes his name, divorces you legally, you and your wife legally, he just walks away. He says, I don't want anything to do with my mom and dad anymore. I said, would you still love him? He said, well, absolutely, he's my son. I said, that's how God feels about you. God loves you. He's our father. 
that's not just some fancy word that he made up. He says, no, this is, you're my father. You're, I, you're my father, God, and he sees us as his children. He will never leave you or forsake you, but I'm telling you, he wants, he wants you to follow him. He wants you to lay down your life. He wants you to lay down what may be holding you back from fully following him. Whenever we start living for Jesus, this is when the attacks come because now you're a threat to the enemy and his kingdom. Now you're a threat to whatever the enemy had planned. Now you're a light shining in the darkness and the darkness is pushing back against you. I've seen it. We've seen it in our own church recently. The moment we started getting serious with prayer and discipleship, this is when the spiritual warfare started happening. And Jesus is saying, it's gonna come. The warfare is gonna come. Are you sure you're all in? Because if you're not all in, I don't know what to do with you. You see, when we prayed about planting this church, when we set sail for distant lands, we burned the ships when we arrived there. We said, no matter what, we're not walking away from this calling. No matter what, we're all in. And it's easy to say that. It's easy to even think that. But you just wait until Satan doesn't play fair. He does not play fair. Just after we launched our church, probably about six months after we launched our church, I'm making breakfast in the morning. My two oldest daughters are in the living room just next door to the kitchen. And uh, my oldest said, hey, Dad, uh, something's wrong with Eden. I walk into the living room. I see Eden on the couch. Her face is blue. Her lips are blue. She's having a seizure. It's a grand mall seizure. It's a major seizure. We don't know what's going on. She's never had one that we've seen like this. In that moment of terror, I remember calling out to God saying, God, I need your help. Help me. My daughter is freaking out. She's scream praying in the background. And I told her to go down to her basement bedroom. That's where we keep our kids in the dungeon. But I said, Avery, go down to your bedroom. I got to focus here. So I, in, my, in my rushed thought, I thought, well, she's, she's got to be choking on something. That's why her face is blue. And that's causing the seizure because there's no oxygen to the brain. So in my frazzled state of mind, I just thought I've got to get this, whatever's in her throat out of it. So I start doing the Heimlich maneuver and it's not working. In fact, her six-year-old body's flailing around like a rag doll. I'll never forget that feeling. I'll never forget that moment of terror. My wife calls 911. We lay her out on the dining room table. We're about to start compressions on her. She slowly starts breathing. Her color comes back. Paramedics come and work on her in the living room. They whisk her away in the ambulance. And I remember following the ambulance through the snow that morning on the way to the hospital. I was all alone. I remember saying, and I kid you not, I remember saying, God, if it costs me this, I'm out. I'm out. And I'm ashamed to say that. I'm ashamed to say that I was only in it so far. You see, when we decide to follow Jesus, he wants us to follow him even when Satan doesn't play fair, even when your marriage is crumbling, even when your boss is hard to forgive at work, even when your neighbors are hard to love, even when your children walk away from the faith. He calls you to love him. 
He calls you to follow him. He calls you to seek him every morning. But in that moment, I said, God, if it costs me this, count me out. I can't do this. Later that night, I got home and had a long talk with God. We had no answers. We didn't know if she had a brain tumor, if, she was, if this was going to be an ongoing thing. And long story short, I just said, God, I'm sorry. I'll follow you. I said, when we left Lubbock, I said, we will follow you anywhere. And we meant it. And I almost had this moment like Peter does with Jesus when he goes, we've, we've left everything to follow you. Where else would we go? Where else would I go but follow you? Even if it cost me my life, even if it cost me my own children's life, I will follow you no matter what. That turns out our daughter Eden, our middle daughter, had epilepsy. Zach Randall's daughter had the same thing. And we started talking, putting our two heads together, which is dangerous, but we started talking and we said, I wonder if Satan's got a, the same trick for both of us. There's a man uh, in the Bible that's, that has seizures and the disciples are trying to re- cast this demon out that's messing with this man and, and uh, Jesus rebukes him and he says, this kind can only come out through prayer. So both Zach and I both reached out to anybody and everybody that we knew to pray for Eden, to pray for his daughter, To this day, our daughter is seizure-free. She had epilepsy. She was having dozens and dozens of seizures a day. Today, she is seizure-free, off medication. I mean, the Lord is incredible. So the reason I share that with you this morning is because sometimes following Jesus means it costs you everything. And why shouldn't it? It costs God everything to purchase you. I say this a lot in our church. I say this a lot on Sunday mornings with my own church, but it's one thing for me to lay down my life for a friend. I would do that for most of you in a heartbeat, even if I don't know you. As a man, I would lay down my life. There's honor in that. I could do that with very little thought. But if you asked me to lay down the life of my child, I could not do it. In fact, I would not do it. I don't have that capacity to love you. I just don't. And I I wish I did, but I just don't. But God did. God loved you enough not to just lay down his life, but to give the life of his only son for you. I don't know where you're at this morning in this journey of faith, but if you've never trusted Jesus as your personal savior, you can have that today. You can have assurance knowing that if you die on the way home, if you die of some kind of crazy uh, instance, that you would have an eternity with him. I want to offer that to you this morning. We do this every Sunday at our church. This is why we've seen so many people respond to the gospel. And I know here in Lubbock, the gospel is well spoken, but I I just want to offer this to you this morning. If you're here this morning and you want to give this God thing a try, and I'm not just saying a try because we don't just try things and walk away from it, but I'm, I'm telling you, it's the greatest journey of your life. You will not regret it. Having a relationship with the living God is incredible. I want to offer you this moment. If you're here today, every head bowed, every eye closed, if you're here today and you want to pray to receive Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, it's just as simple as praying something like this that I'm about to lead you in. Praying a prayer does not save you. It has to be a heartfelt moment. And I promise you, when you pray this from your heart, 
God looks at you. He loves you. He loves you enough that he gave his only son for you. If you're here this morning and you want to pray to receive Jesus, you want to be forgiven of your sin, the Bible says that all of us have sinned. None of us are perfect. Nobody's perfect. We believe that. We believe also that Jesus' death on the cross was able to wash our sin away. That means everything we've ever done, said, thought about doing, or didn't do. Sin is anything that we think, say, do, or don't do that pleases God. Anything that we do that displeases him. The Bible says that all of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of God's glory. There's not one perfect person, but there was one perfect man named Jesus, and he was the perfect sacrifice for you and for me. When he died on the cross, God looked at that, and he forgave your sin. He forgave your sin past and present and future. If you're ready to have that kind of forgiveness today, then pray a prayer similar to this. I'm going to lead you right now. Nobody's looking around, just you and God this morning. Pray a prayer like this. Say, God, I know that I'm a sinner. God, I know that I've done things to dishonor you. God, I trust that you are able to take my sin and forgive it. I know that you're able to take my shame and, and, and wipe it away. God, right now, I give my life to you. I surrender control to you. God, thank you for saving me. Thank you for loving me. If you pray that prayer today, would you look up here at me? If you pray that prayer for the first time, would you look up here at me? I want to ask you to do something scary, okay? In the next few moments, if you prayed that prayer for the first time today, I want to invite you to come pray with one of these people that's standing on the sides of the room over here. We want to rejoice with you. We want to celebrate with you. We want to help you and equip you in your journey in following Jesus. Would you do something scary today? If you prayed that prayer for the first time, would you be so bold to step out of your aisle during this first song and come forward? We would love to talk with you. We'd love to pray for you. This team is also here for those who just need a moment of prayer spoken over them. If there's anything you need prayer for, come forward. We want to pray for you. Over the next few moments, we're just going to sing a, a couple of choruses. Over the next few moments, don't waste time. Come forward. Surrender. Surrender everything and follow him. You won't regret it. Father, I pray over the next few moments that we would just be so honest with you, God, that we would be so passionate as we leave this building, as, as we go about our normal work days. God, I pray that you would continue to remind us of the words that Jesus spoke, that following you means we leave everything behind. God, you are number one in our life. Father, we love you. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. If you are encouraged by today's talk, be sure to subscribe and rate us wherever you stream your podcast. The goal of the venue is to help you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus by being relational, helpful, hopeful, and real. Thanks again for listening to the Venue Podcast.